Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Girl, real talk. This whole, it's a new year, time to reinvent myself trash is not the vibe for 2024. You can find someone who loves you for you, as you are. You don't need to read a stack of self-help books, only eat sad salads, or like start meditating at 5 a.m. to be ready for dating. So yeah, my advice is to download Bumble and find someone who embraces you the way you are right now. Let me know how it goes. It's hard not to write whack-ass shit if you're afraid of, of, of actually looking at the parts of yourself and people around you that you, that you don't want to look at. And, and, and actually looking at the parts that you do want to look at with, diff, you know, with like newer sets of eyes. So the hardest thing for me is not to talk about like the scary thing about where I am at in my life today is like the things that I've done that are like terrible in this world, which to me are like hurting people that I purport to love. Like I am not afraid to talk and tell anyone in the world about those experiences. I don't want to tell I don't want to talk about it publicly because I know that that triggers and harms people, but I'm not afraid to talk about the worst shit I've done in, 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 in my life. But I am afraid to like think that I'm doing that kind of work and then actually not be doing any work at all. I'm Jordan Kissner, author of the essay collection Thin Places, and this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. I wanted to talk to Kia Saleman because recently he did something that very few writers ever do. He bought back the rights to his first two books from the publisher, revised them significantly, and published them again. One was his novel Long Division, and the other was a collection of essays called How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. For those of you not proximate to the book world, I can't stress enough how rarely something like this is done. For one thing, you have to pay the publisher to get the rights to your books back. In Kiese's case, he paid $50,000, which is more than 10 times how much the publisher paid for them in the first place. Also, most books, when they're published, are considered done. No more revising. You move on to your next project. 
revising your first two books and republishing them is a bold thing to do, which Kiese did because, as he says in our conversation, he's developed almost a theology of revision, which he says is not just about how you write, but also about how you love and how you survive. Lehman is maybe best known for his memoir, Heavy, which is a memoir about growing up as a Black man in Mississippi and about his experiences with racism, violence, addiction, and sexual abuse. We touch on some of those topics in this conversation as well. So if that's an area of sensitivity for you, take care. Here's Casey Lehman. My student, Emma Carmichael, who was one of the, I think she was managing editor at Gawker, asked me if she could run an essay that I had written on my blog. An essay was called How to Solely Kill Yourself and Others in America. And I said, uh, sure, but are you, do you think that there's an audience for that kind of stuff at, at, at Gawker? And she was like, yes, believe me, trust. And, you know, that 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 decision to publish with Gawker, um, I mean, it just changed my life. It just, I mean, I mean, writing that essay changed my life, but but the but that essay was on my blog for several months before I put it out to the world. And then when it when it when it when it came out, it went it went viral. And, um, you know, if, if anybody's read heavy, you know, I, I spent way too much time in casinos and I was in a casino. Um, and the shit was, I was like looking at my, somebody, people, people kept calling me and I was like trying to lose all my money. I'm like, stop it. Try to fucking gamble and be an addict. Leave me alone. And, um, <laughs> everybody was like, dude, you got to go to Twitter. And I, I, I had a Twitter, I had a Twitter, but I didn't fucking like know how to use it. Actually, Amani Perry was the person who called me and she was like, yes, hey, you got to go to Twitter. And I was like, for what? And she was like, people are reading you. And I was like, what does that mean? And, you know, I think from there, my life sort of changed. I mean, I, obviously, I was doing a lot of writing, a lot of reading before that. But that was that was the first piece that I really put out for, like, mass consumption. And and that was the first piece that also um, sort of went sort of viral. You know? See, this is why I was afraid, because we're we about to really talk. Um, <laughs> I hope know, so. <laughs> yeah, but because we don't, you know, anyway. Yeah, because because... I always, I always sort of felt as a writer, I was a writer who like, if you put in a small village, like I could write shit that the village would think was hot. You know what I'm saying? Like I could, I could, I could, I could, if the, if the scale, the smaller the scale, be it a college community, like, you know, like a really small town, maybe a city, like I could get enough of the folkways in there and kind of know what pushes and pulls people to where I could, you know, I could write a piece that would get the village talking but I, but, but I was not sure that I could like expand beyond my village and have people care. And, and so the fact that I could write about a small village where I learned how to write really, now that was Millsaps College and have it go out to like an international sort of audience and have it reverberate. It, it was, it was very shocking to me. You know, like I, I just didn't, I, and I had a blog, but again, like when you write, when you're blog writing, thankfully, like you're writing to you know, a small group of people who, who sort of know you, you know, or know your mama or somebody, you know what I mean? And, and so that was the first time I was just like, okay, so the scale is much bigger, but I can still move the crowd. You know, I knew I could move the crowd on a, on a tiny, on a, with a smaller scale, but that was the first time I was like, oh, you can move the crowd on a larger scale. Um, and I, I honestly, I did not think I could do that because at that point I also had gotten, 850 something rejections for long division and everything else I was writing. So like I kept being told that there is no audience for large, there's no larger scale audience for you. And so when I wrote that essay in it and, and people for whatever reason felt it, um, 
and and I think felt the rhythm of it as even though they talk about it like that. I, I think that sort of helped me understand that I could do something I really didn't think I could do. I thought I was like at best like a local local writer who could who could write really well about local things that local people cared about. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned rhythm because something that I was thinking about while you were talking is that it must have been a really like the trajectory of having something that you wrote for yourself with kind of the integrity of your own <laughs> just like writing to writing to please yourself in what feels mm-hmm. like a sort of a smaller smaller stage kind of way and then having that go really big mm-hmm. is the experience of realizing that the way you sound is something that people will listen to rather than mm-hmm. trying to break into a bigger, you know, a lot of people mm. start writing for a Gawker or like a New York mag or whatever. in some of these bigger venues by, by pitching and then mm-hmm. trying to sound like the, like the venue, mm-hmm. trying to mm-hmm. sound more like a Gawker writer, whatever right. that might mean. Right. And it sounds like that wasn't what, wasn't what that experience was like for you. And I'm right. curious how, that experience of sounding like yourself in sort of on larger and larger stages. Yeah. Like, did that begin then? And what's that, what's that journey been like? Man, that's just a great question. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so layered because like, you know, I, I went to Millsaps. I was, I got kicked out of school for taking a library book out of library. And then I went to Jack State. And then I, I, I transferred to Oberlin College where Calvin Herrington and Bell Hooks were teaching. And I, I I went to that school because Calvin Herrington and Bell Hooks were there. And when I got there, I started like really exploring this idea of Black literary imagination that Toni Morrison puts forth. So I had been thinking like as, a, as an undergrad a lot about what it means to write to and for people that who don't read and write for a living right like so how do you actually like craft a voice that is particular in a market that is looking for mimetic shit right mm-hmm. is is and and i was writing about that as an undergrad and of course i'm undergrad so i'm writing about it all sloppily and i'm using hip-hop as like hip-hop and 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 blues primarily as my as as as, as my text to compare literary um stuff to and and so it just felt like there was there was a part of me that just felt like you know, I, I taught a lot of hip hop early on in my career, and Jay Z had this line in one of his albums where he's like, um, "I made it say you could, I made it so you could say Marcy, and it's all good. I didn't cross over. I brought the suburbs to the hood. And whenever I teach that, I'm always like, first of all, it's corny, family. You did not, you brought the suburbs to the hood. It's and like, and so Jay Z is trying to tell the his his listener who he perceives as like a black young man that like." Look what I did for you. Like, I brought these people to you. So I never wanted to be a native informant. Do you know what I mean? Like someone who's like, look, I'm about to bring you to this part of Mississippi. Like, I just wanted to craft a, like a number of singular voices that were mine, that had integrity, that could resonate with people where I'm from. And it just so happens that I think I was able to create rhythms that people could appreciate um, who weren't from Mississippi. Like if it were not for repetition, I don't, we wouldn't be on this call today. Do you know what I mean? Like that first essay, I'm doing some things that are sort of interesting, but sort of not. But really what I'm doing is I'm, I found like three different refrains and I tried to, you know, how do you make an essay with three different refrains and 
you know, sort of like antiquated now, but like a lyrical essay and blah, 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 blah. And so I was trying to burst the essay form, like for myself privately on my back in my room when I was writing that. But while doing that, I never thought that it would catch on because, you know, you're kind of writing it not to catch on. That's what's so interesting about the question. Like, I want it. I I did. I don't trust the New Yorker audience. I don't trust the Gawker audience. I didn't trust the Sports Illustrated audience, ESPN audience. Like I don't know what audiences I did trust, but so so yeah. So like the fact that so many people at first started to feel that particular piece, it just it made me. At first, it made me wonder what I did wrong, and then of <laughs> course, as an artist, I was like, oh no, fam, you just kind of used. I mean, you're talking about guns. You're talking about race. You're talking about gender. And you're really, you know, doing some stuff with repetition that people hadn't popularly seen done around this topic. And that's that's kind of why people like mess with that essay. It's not like the greatest essay in the world. But at the time, nobody else was writing publicly about guns, race, gender and space in that rhythm. You know, that that's what I think got people. Yeah, I have wondered for a while what it felt like to you as you began to build that bigger and bigger audience that was like full of some people who you really didn't trust and some people who you were excited to reach what kinds of pressures felt introduced to you then um Mm. on on you or or on your writing did you struggle with feeling like you needed to change change what you were trying to do yes because you know, like I'm, I'm a teacher and I, I, how, how do you say this? I just, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it other than you just really want to be taken seriously. Yet you, you, you doubt that you will be taken seriously by a lot of people. And what Gawker did after that was they said, all right, we're going to give you a weekly column. You know what I mean? Like they were like, we're going to give you, we want you to do this again and again and again. And, 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 and I think the best decision I made at that point in my life, and I wasn't making many good decisions at that point in my life was like, I was like, all right, I don't want to write a weekly column, but I want to run a weekly column where I can get other people to write. And I can, you know, maybe write maybe, you know, once every month or every two months or so. So I'm saying that like as if I were a younger writer and Gawker gave me that humongous platform, I would have just flood every week. You would have been reading me. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause I've been trying, Oh, I got, but at that point, you know, I was just like, it was so, I understood there were gazillions of writers out there who were better than me who didn't have platforms. And I wanted to use the Gawker platform to push them. And also I did not want to continually be expected to write like that kind of shit in Gawker every single week. It's not sustainable. It wasn't, I couldn't do it, but, Mm -hmm. um, but what I could do is I could use that platform to get a lot of folks who I knew and didn't know out into the world. And, and it worked. Like if you look at that stuff that we published on Gawker, I mean, there should be like a documentary or movie about Gawker because that shit is, it's, 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 it's absolutely nuts what happened, but also it's just like so many writers who were reading today in a strange way, like got a start right there on Gawker with all of its like warts and everything else, you know? Yeah. That, that's something that I've admired about your work and your career for a really long time is the way that you seem really committed to writing as this, I don't know, like choral enterprise where there are a lot of voices operating together as opposed to just 
like the one totemic authorial voice. And I know you've done that in a lot of different ways from that, from what you did with that GawkerCom opportunity to putting in that beautiful essay that's like an exchange between Mm -hmm. you and Michael Denzel Smith and, you know, a number of other writers in, Mm -hmm. and and I, I, I guess when, what's the, what's the fucking question I'm trying to ask you? I guess the question I'm trying to ask you is, um, how does that feel like, what's the relationship between your commitment to that, to the kind of collectivity of voice um in your work and your the way that writing is sustainable for you there's something i want to like there's a connection i want to draw between like that element of your work and sustainability because so much also of what you write about is like choosing to keep living and keep writing and keep pursuing and keep sort of pushing toward uh towards a better a better self and a better world i mean a lot of it is just that you know as a young person I, I mean, I had a lot of faults, but like sharing was not one of my, you know, like I always thought that if, if you had more of anything that somebody else needed or wanted, I, I couldn't figure out why you wouldn't give it to that person. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, 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 and early on, you know, yeah, early on that, uh, yeah, I, I like, you know, I remember being in fourth grade and, and I could have been, you know, class president. But instead of voting for myself, I voted for Magic Crump. And that vote changed the whole thing. And Magic Crump became the class president. And it was like, like, I voted for Magic Crump instead of me because I knew Magic Crump would make a better president. And so like that and, and that's not like some like virtuous anything, you know what I mean? But like I think <laughs> that I, I have that, like, I believe Imani Perry often says she doesn't believe in clicks, she believes in relationships. And sometimes I want to echo whatever Imani Perry says, but I actually do believe in clicks and I actually do believe in teams. And I want our team, I want the team to be as, as wide as possible. And I want the team to be, I want, I want our teams to share. And I say, I think especially with something like art, art making and, 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 and art production, I just want to, if I got something, if I got in any door, one, I never wanted to be the only black person in there. And I just wanted to just, I mean, that's just how I am. Like, I just want whatever I have. I want to, I want to, I want to share it. And a multiplicity of voices is just like traditional, right? Like I come from um, a state and a place where like, like multiplicitous voices, voices in the singular individual and actually like lots of different voices are what make up the blues, the gospel, you know, what people call rock, what people ultimately call funk, like that, that communal, um, that communal kind of like boom, you know, like Jackson's like a soul sonic boom. It's it's so communal, yet you have to figure out a way to etch out your specific individuality within that boom. And that boom is a collective. Like we individually don't make boom. Booms are collective booms. But like, okay, but like there's a there's an individual sound in that boom that is yours. And like, yeah, I wanna I wanna do that. I wanna be, I wanna have a style that people be like, oh, that's Kiese. But I also want folks to know that like Kiese is connected to a much larger um uh continuum of 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 people out here trying to do trying to do you know good work um and that's corny as fuck but i believe it which is even cornier you know what i'm saying like i i i love a team you know and the question is do you also love an enemy you know that's the thing i don't i don't really like to talk about but like because teams love to fucking play against somebody you know and um but i love a team i really do love i love being on a team 
I love it. And the, the bad thing about that, though, is like I even get in a bad publishing deal. So I'm thinking, oh, you know, I couldn't get my first book published. Anybody? Oh, you want to publish me? You must really want to be, you know, we're a team now. And then you're like, oh, no, you just wanted to make money. You know, we're not a team. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, I, I, I like team shit and I like I like collectives and I, and I like to share. Um, and I just want to do that with my art as much as possible. Yeah. I want to ask you about that, uh, that publishing deal that you were alluding to in a second, but first I want to ask you just cause I, now I'm curious, do you love, do you love an enemy? Oh, CC fam. I do. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 that's why I shouldn't have opened that up because, um, mm, yeah, you know, like so much of like this book I wrote heavy was, is about my relationship with, in in my life i've never said it this way but i'm just gonna say it like in my life at different times it felt like the biggest enemies in my life were my mother myself um my body and gambling and 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 then heavy like in the early iterations of it i was just like i got to you know i'm coming to get all y'all but you know like how do you get yourself right like how do you how like you know, if you are the enemy, like that, like, what is the, like, you know, for the first two years of writing heavy, I was, I was writing hard shit that I should have not been writing or taking space, space before I wrote, not just to find the jewel or find where, find the memory, but I was doing some of that shit to hurt the enemy. Who was me? You know what I'm saying? Like, so yes, I I do, I do love an enemy fam, and it, but it's a, it's a, it's a terrible trait to have um it's really terrible to let enemy type shit like fuel your art but i do i love an enemy i love i love an enemy and it's and it's and 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 it's and it's terrible i wish i did not i I wish i did what is that what does that love feel like like what do you why do you love an enemy because i love to i love to beat people that they that, that think they can't think they can't be beaten you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Go- now we get two. We see, see what I'm saying? Like now we're talking. <laughs> now, now I'm talking. Now I sound absolutely fucking ridiculous. But the sad thing is, you I believe people, everything. You think I, most people don't? You think a lot of people don't also feel that way? I feel like I a think lot they of people do. feel that I way. I think a lot of people yeah. feel that way. I just don't think they get on podcasts and talk about it. So <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I definitely like. I, I mean, honestly, like you know. Yeah, like I, I, the only way I could beat the casino was to write heavy. The only way I could beat my mom was to write heavy. And the only way I could beat myself was to write heavy. Now, that book is doing a whole lot more than all of that, but there's a part of me that needed to like, like see these three different manifestations of things that that had whipped that whooped my ass like whooped me into the ground fucked up my relationships with my everything and um i i i was like okay like they beat you up <laughs> it looks like they're gonna beat you up for the rest of your life so like how can you fight back and the only way i knew how to do it was to write heavy like it's so much more complicated than that, but I'm saying on one level, yeah, like those and those were 
my mother is not my enemy. I don't want to, that's why I'm like talking like this because people reduce it. My mother is not my enemy, but at different times, all of our parents feel like enemies. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, at least people I know, the casino don't give a fuck about anybody. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a doesn't have a personality. It wants to just con- continually extract. So how can you beat a casino? A casino, you, you can't unless you write a book about the shit that can make it so you one or too embarrassed to go in there and two can make up the money that you lost from it. You know what I mean? Like that's how sometimes my mind works and never talked about it like that before, but I think that's true. That makes sense. What, what, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but what happens when you're like writing a book and part of the thing that you're doing at least at the beginning when you're writing the book is about beating an enemy that is also you. Like how, yeah. uh, what, how do you write the book where, where winning is also beating yourself? Like, and what's the cost of that? Yeah. The, I mean, the cost, are, I mean, the cost, are, the cost are, 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 are so extensive, you know, like your, 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 your body, your, 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 your sanity, your relationships with reality, your relationships with human beings. Um, yeah, it costs, it costs a lot to write books like that. You know, it, it, it just, it just costs a lot to write books like that. And, um, if you, if you think that you're going to be okay, no matter what you just do it. But the thing you also know, because you write is that you're not going to be okay. You're not okay. You know what I mean? Like, you're just not okay, but you can get into this comfortable rhythm of, of not being okay. And thankfully for heavy, I will say, I don't want to thank also like my editor, Kathy Belden and my, and my, and my agent, like, you know, they, they saw me right through all these manifestations and at different points. Like they all both had to be like, homie, like slow down. fam. like you, you are, you are, you are going too hard at yourself and the world does not need to know this. You know, they, they, they both, both of them to different degrees were, were like, don't do that. Like, don't like stop doing this to yourself. And, you know, I'm a hard headed. Sometimes I listened and sometimes I didn't, but, um, I'm, I'm, I've, I've luckily found, thankfully found a different writing process for my, my, the work I've been working on where I don't have to just try to fucking like find a hole in my body and like, you know, literally pour more fucked up toxic ink into that hole until it you know what i mean like what a that's like i don't know i i feel like that shit is cool actually when you like 28 but like, i was doing that shit at like <laughs> like 42 it's so not cool at 42 it, it, it's just, it is not the look at that age so yeah keyword in your work for a little while now has been revision. Yeah. You, you bought back these two books so you could revise them, but also revision is a, is a pretty big theme in long division. Um, and you've been writing about revision as this dynamic practice. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm curious when, can you, like, can you tell me the story of when you started to th- how you started to think of revision and the way you think of it now? Uh, yeah, I mean, long division got me to thinking and understanding revision as, um, 
if 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 not the kernel of potential like radical fairness, but you know, it, it, like if not the kernel, like one of the kernels of of of, of health or my imagined or, or my imagined like health. And so, uh, you know, long division, long division helped me think about, about that as writing practice. And, and what I, and, and buying the books back, you know, was, yeah, yes, I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted the, the ink and the, and the paragraphs and the shape of the books to change, but also I wanted to revisit the, the process of those books being out in the world because the process of putting those two books out in the world, I'm, you know, I'm really, um, I don't know if I'm thankful I had that experience, but uh, that experience helped make me a, a a tougher person. But it also it didn't make me a better person. And I saw and 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 so I wanted to like also just revise the experience. You know what I mean of putting the books out. Um, and long divisions, particularly like again, like to me, it it is about 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 the act of seeing oneself. Um, extra textually or textually and going in and, and attempting to write, write oneself in spite of what a master narrator might want from oneself. You know, I feel like it's about a lot of shit, but I think at the end of the day, it's about like runaway characters being like, we want to revise the way that you have written us. And the only way we can do it is sort of to go under the ground together collectively and, and see what we can make, you know? So that's where I've started to really think and feel about revision as like a, a, uh, a, a kind of religion or a way of a way of life and a way of loving that makes sense to me. Yeah. You, uh, I wanted to ask you about the connection between love and revision because you wrote in that really beautiful essay about your friend gun, uh, mm-hmm. Ray, Ray gun, I think his mm-hmm. first name. Yeah. Ray. Ray gun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that there's this, there's this jump between, you, you say Gunn knew he was talking about love and I was beginning to understand this thing about revision. Right. And I just wanted to hear you more, talk more about the connection that like there's the, there, that connection goes like kind of beautifully right. elided in the essay. But so I wanted to ask you in conversation yeah. about the way you think about that connection between revision and love. Yeah. Love is such a scary word for me as a writer because it, it is, it's, it's the most spectacular, latent word that I think we have like you know we use it at least in my family we use it a lot um in my classrooms people will use it to talk about a paragraph or a sentence that they only read once you know what I'm saying or you know I, I and and I remember I remember I remember as a as a younger writer I started I was just like wait a minute like I I I, I claim to love um let's say like Morrison's Nobel prize address. Right. Like I, I remember when I read it the first time, I'm like, man, I love this. And, and then I was just say, but like love necessitates like revisitation. Like, you know, like how do you love some shit that you don't, that you don't go back to? Do you know what I mean? Like when I, you know, like when I'm, when I've been in relationships with people who I felt, who I love, like I wanted to see and hear and feel them again. It wasn't like, I love them and the memory carry. And that was enough. It's, and so for me, it was just like this the notion of revisitation that is part of love. Like when we love songs, often we go back and listen and listen, listen, listen. And those re-listenings give us different portals of entry into like us, into a song maker, into all kind of stuff. And so like I just thought, like, yeah, but one of the one of the basics of love is revisitation, right? Like and revisitation is is part of is part of part of revision. And also 
to to revise in love, you have to listen to people outside of yourself. Like you have to listen to other visions of yourself. You have to mind other people's visions of who you are to them and who they are to do you know what I mean? So so instead of instead of and plus I think Baldwin wrote about love and and, and Morrison wrote through love so uh with such tenacity and love, tenderness and vigor. I I just wanted to maybe add something different to it, which is the revision aspect, which is tied to art. Um, and so that's, that's, that's really it. But for me, love and, re- re- and revision are just, just literally like, like, you know, those twins conjoined, yeah. Conjoined twins, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because so much of the way you talk about revision sort of extends past revision as like a writing practice or an art practice into a relational and political and kind of future oriented practice of getting to, of getting to, I don't know, remake and sort of redeem sometimes or heal things right. that are things that feel broken. Yeah. Um, though I, I wonder how, I think the thing that the re- one of the reasons why people don't do that as openly and as publicly as you do is because it feels scary to be, <laughs> to be like, you know, uh, putting, putting your emails with your mom, whose relationship yeah. you're, you know, you're working it through together in these emails. It feels right. scary to put those emails out to some, to some people in the yeah. world. And it feels scary mm-hmm. to be saying I was wrong about this, or I changed my mind about that. And I was, I have wondered for a while if you feel that, fear and just decide to do it anyway or if there's something that over that supersedes that fear if you just don't don't feel afraid of that i feel i feel definitely feel that fear for sure um but you know as i've said other places though but 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 my duty to the page and to the art like kind of overwhelm that that fear do you know what i'm saying like i i yeah, I I feel that fear, but I just don't want to write whack shit. Like that's another way to say it. Like I just don't want to write whack ass shit. And it's it's hard not to write whack ass shit if you're afraid of 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 actually looking at the parts of yourself and people around you that you that you don't want to look at. And 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 actually looking at the parts that you do want to look at with diff- you know, with like newer sets of eyes. So the hardest thing for me is not to talk about like the scary thing about where I am in my life today is like the things that I've done that are like terrible in this world, which to me are like hurting people that I purport to love. Like I am not afraid to talk and tell anyone in the world about those experiences. I don't want to tell I don't want to talk about it publicly because I know that that triggers and harms people, but I'm not afraid to talk about the worst shit I've done in, in, in my life. But I am afraid to like think that I'm doing that kind of work and then actually not be doing any work at all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like I think, I think there's a way it goes back to what you're saying about like trying to, you know, write like the Gawker audience or what trying to write the New Yorker piece. Like I'm afraid, I'm afraid artistically of being like a hack much more than I'm afraid of being like, or as much as I'm afraid of being a fucked up person. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 I and and I want to believe that there that that like 
I want to believe that like if I'm doing my best work on the page and doing my best work in, in life, I want to believe that. I don't know if it's true, but I, but I want to, but I want to believe it. You know what I'm saying? I want to believe it. Something that I've noticed about your work and your writing and other interviews you've given is that you seem to be somebody who thinks a lot about a lot about what you want your writing to be doing and how you want it to be sort of in conversation with a literary and artistic tradition. Like you seem to be a writer who writes and writes and, and sort of like theorizes your writing right. at the same time. And, uh, that was another reason why I wanted to talk to you is because I feel like you, you have really clearly defined ideas for the ways in which you want to be pushing yourself forward and trying new things and also pushing a form forward and trying new things. And I'm curious, like, do you feel like you have to switch between brains of like, this is, this is a thing I want to be doing formally versus the thing I'm saying, or this is my aspiration for my writing versus this is the me that's going to sit down and write. Uh, or are they the same? They're not the same. That's that that that's what's so interesting to me. It's like I I think that I think there's just different ways to braid essays. That, you know, we, we talk about braided essays all the, often. Some of us as teachers, but like I'm I'm sort of obsessed with with that which makes me feel like a tremendous amount of emotion while it makes me think. In a, in a way that might be going oppositional. Like I, I love that depth that 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 that's created when you when 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 you encounter that. And so like I do want to create that. Like I want I want readers to feel their way through my pieces, but I also want them to feel like they are being asked to think their way through pieces and make decisions. You know what I mean? Like I don't want I want to create like 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 spectacle like every I mean that's just fucked up to say like People want to be like, like nobody wants to create spectacle. Of course, we want to create spectacle. We want to create some shit that people want to watch, but I also want to create shit that people want to watch and like engage with and think and do something with. Um, at the same time, do you know? And and I think that first piece we started talking about how to sort of cure yourself and others in America, like like I was writing about like you know like guns and young black people and bullets and young black people, and everybody was writing about that. But I think. I was I, I took people on a narrative like and I and I used the present at the time and the people weren't using a ton of present tense writing. But I think the present sometimes can make people feel more. But then you you know you hit them also with these ideas where they have to think. And one of the things I think you have to think about when you're reading some of my shit is like, do I like this motherfucker or not? Like, like, like do like is is this person like so whatever that I can ride with them or not? And ultimately, um, you know, like, it's like when I when I roll heavy, like I, I always talk about this. There's this scene, and 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 my babysitter, you know, who was twenty something, and I was a young boy, you know, was to put her breast in my mouth, and and I was very, very like so scared that like her breast was gonna smell like whatever food we just eaten. And when I put that in a piece, it's it's not to titillate necessarily, but it's it's also like not just because it happened, you know, I want readers to be like, oh shit, like do I laugh in this scene that is literally like this, this is, 
sexual abuse. Like this child is being like a- abused, but that shit is funny. What the child just said. Like I want that tension to exist, not the same way in everything I write, but I want it to exist in everything I write. And I think that's where the thinking and the feeling and the theorizing and the moving the narrative forward come in. You know, like that's that's what I like. That's what I like to read. So that's sort of what I like to try to create. Yeah. What are you um what are you pushing for right now in your writing? Like what edge are you trying to to ride in what you're working on right now? Um, well, I'm working, I'm doing different forms right now, thank goodness. You know, I'm writing right working on film and working on TV. But if we're talking about just literature and prose and stuff, I mean I'm I'm trying to in this new work, uh How do I say it? There, there, there are. They're like, they're, they're, they're ghosts, are what people would call ghosts in my new work. And some of these ghosts, like, are they're they're wearing like the clothes that my grandmother wore when she was a young person. But but those clothes are being attached to like a wig head. And that wig head has a wig on it, and the, and it has a and 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 the face might have something like you know the face might be whatever I drew on it, but like I'm trying to work on people understanding that that is not magic realism, that is not surrealism, that is actually like real, real. And so like I'm 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 actually tapping a lot more into um, sort of like what people call spirit writing now um and my new stuff and it's really scary but it's just like where i am and i know i know i'm writing it because my granny's about to die uh so it's just it's like yeah i'm trying to make people think and feel in this new shit but i'm also just trying to define good and god and like the the as 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 abundant and particular way as i can um and i and i haven't ever really tried to do that before in my work you know so even even saying it sounds like I'm, if I if I were you I'd be like I don't know what the fuck you just said but okay <laughs> you know but but that's what it is I don't know what the fuck I said either but that's what I'm trying to do. I want to talk to you more about spirit writing, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. Do okay. you have like spirit spirit like in what sense are you playing around with spirit writing? Do you have stuff that you're like reading and thinking about? Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, I, I read Jasmine uh, religiously, Jasmine Jasmine mm-hmm. Ward, and. Um, I just, you know, like in everything I've written, like I've all, there's always been a scene where there's this, where there's this character who's wearing what, what looks like a, 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 a house, a gown. And the character is like often like, like, like again, doesn't really have a face, but the face is drawn on. And I have to take those scenes out of everything I write because they don't, they're too weird and they don't fit. So what I've done is like, I've collected those scenes that I've written throughout however long I've been writing. And I've, and I've really tried to sit in like, why, like, why is this, why was this character the first character in the nightmare that I remember? My first nightmare, this character was hopping toward me. I'm at the end of a driveway. This character is hopping and they stick a hole in, like, I had a hole in like a shirt. They stick a hole, they stick their finger in a hole in my shirt. And when they stuck their finger in a hole in my shirt, like I, like I knew whatever, like doom, death, something. But that character recurs in, in real life, like, and actually, like, I, I believe I've seen and talked to that character, but I don't, I didn't feel I had the writing skills to actually, like, make you believe it, you know? But mm-hmm. now I think I do. 
But the question is scary. It's like, so what happens then if you do convince people that that this this God head really like this person that this this thing that you call God, which is like this sort of like fucking amalgamation of my grandmama's clothes, like hanging on a wig head. Like, so what? You know, it's a big so what. But for me, it's like I need to tell myself and I actually need to like just make a distinction between what is good and what is God and what is my grandmama and what is great and 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 what is not and 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 i want to do it in in ways that you know you know belie like narrative progression and character development and and just sort of like sit in spirit i mean trying to define even just like repeating back a phrase you said which is trying to define good and god in your writing yeah. that's big <laughs> yeah that's what i'm that's that's what i'm doing in my in my writing that's that's it i'm trying to define good and god and 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 create portals of entry for people to come in and 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 redefine them for themselves. Uh, and you know, I, I don't know if I'm gonna succeed. I actually, I, I'm not gonna succeed, but that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar Strauss and Drew. I'm Jordan Kissner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kissner. We'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.